Welcome to Roundhouse Roulette, a Walker, Texas Ranger podcast. Each week we recap and review one of the 200 existing Walker, Texas Ranger episodes randomly selected by Roundhouse Roulette. I'm Evan Dalton, here with my brother Adam. Hey yo! And our fellow Kick Drugs Out of America All-Star Unity Team member, Mr. Bob Leahy. Hey, proud to be a member of the Kick Drugs Out of America All-Star Unity Team. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you guys how you guys doing <laughs> oh man i'm just glad that we can stand together this week for this epic podcast you got to stand together that's the mission statement of the k-d-o-o-a-a-s-u-t <laughs> <laughs> and we'd like to uh thank all of you listeners for joining us as we revisit chuck norris's uh anti-hate white savior karate masterpiece <laughs> oh, no. Today we'll be recapping and reviewing Season 8, Episode 19, Soldiers of Hate, where the Rangers find themselves fighting against the clock to stop white supremacists from blowing up the Unity Festival. And no, this isn't Top Dog. <laughs> <laughs> but before we put on our creepy clown makeup and serve up some sweet spun sugar, join us as we pull up a stool at CD's Bar and Grill. Oh, hey guys. Fancy meeting you here in this fine establishment. Yeah, nothing's changed. I thought they said things would change in 2021, but feels like more of the same. But as long as they're serving up Walker, I'm here. The only thing changing is the episodes of Walker. Yeah. And I guess the weekly beer. What does CD got for us this week, Evan? Oh, this year CD's dishing out a Bear Walker Maple Brown Ale by Jackalope Brewing Company in Nashville, Tennessee. According to the menu, Bear Walker was inspired by, quote, our brewmaster Bailey's Vermont roots. Pure maple syrup is infused during the conditioning phase and is noticeable from start to finish. Chocolate malts add roasted notes to the flavor and aroma. It's also more highly hopped than most browns to create a balanced yet complex brew. The name comes from Native American folklore, and a bear walker is a sorcerer who can shapeshift into a bear. A werebear, if you will. <laughs> Seems Man. fairly appropriate. Yeah, um, a bear walker brown. Yeah, I can see why CD would want that on the menu. And then the Native American roots. It dovetails with the walker's origin story. Unbelievable. As if we didn't know what a bear walker was. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> That said, you guys ready to uh, unleash the bear within? Let's do this. Is that what a bear sounds like? I don't know, and I don't want to find out. This is about as uh, frothy as I could possibly have gotten Whoa. it. Dude, <laughs> that was the worst pour I've seen. Look at Evan, it wasn't that tough. I think I shook it up on the way downstairs because it kind of flew <laughs> Just, out of the can when I opened it. Too, you weren't so. supposed to take the beer, beer walking. <sighs> Look, man. Uh, I mean, the legend can't be tamed. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I like it. I might be burping a lot tonight. Mm. I don't get a lot of the hops. I guess it's a little, but it's more just malty to me. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, great flavor, and it's not too malty that it just, it's too thick. It's just all right. It's a great sipping beer here. It's clean. I like it. I will say this can art is up there with some of the best can art. I'll say, yeah. It's got this awesome illustrated bear with kind of a rainbow coming out of one of his paws. He appears ready to uh, be giving out bear hugs. 
<laughs> yeah, he's kind of got a friendly face. Just like a smile. Yeah, he's pretty mellow. Growling and roaring, he cooked up his malts, added syrup so pure, did a happy bear waltz. When he was done, he turned back a man and left us this gift, Bear Walker the can. So he brewed the beer as a bear? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's what I'm getting from that. It'd be tough without opposable thumbs. There's probably some laws about that, you know. Yeah, but this is from Tennessee, right? So. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> I've actually had this beer on tap at the Jackalope Brewing Company here in Nashville. We used to have an apartment down the street. And when they first opened up, we were psyched because it was so close. And we would go there every week. And I have had many a bear walker. And um, I still dig it. Adam's just trying to show that he was there first. Yeah, I mean, I want credit. I mean, everybody wants credit. I don't want to share credit. Life is about one-upping other people. That's what I've learned. Words to live by. I've drinking this beer before you guys. So is that better or worse? Not sure. Yeah, you did it first, so you win. I won. You guys are losers. So where did you end up hanging up, hanging that uh, signed deodorant ad from Chuck Norris? That's right in the bathroom. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, it's where it belongs, right? It's where you get, it's where you yeah. get fresh. Yeah, get ready. It's right to the right of the mirror, and I just look over and get inspired. You're like, oh, don't want to forget to put on deodorant today for myself. Yeah. Does it say the catchphrase on it, which is the best defense is not to offend? Yeah, it has that in quotes from Chuck Norris. Solid. And Solid. then a fake signature, and then of course there's the real signature, which, by the way, I'm just, I did a little comparison between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. The dot on the eye is a circle, like something you see like a middle school girl do. Mickey Mouse. Are you calling Chuck Norris's signature middle schoolish? I'm calling into question the authenticity of the document. Didn't it come with a certificate of authenticity? I think it was around $15 for this magazine ad on eBay. And I was like, oh, this is so ridiculous. Who would want a deodorant ad signed by Chuck Norris? There's another one up there. And I think <laughs> pictures of the signing of, of Chuck signing them. So No, it definitely could be real. It just doesn't look exactly the same. But, you know, people don't write their signatures I the same. I am a little offended that you're calling out my Christmas gift that you're I... saying that it wasn't real. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would... isn't the beauty of it to look at it and think to yourself, there was a point in time when Chuck Norris was brought an underarm antiperspirant <laughs> advertisement with him on it to sign. And he, and he signed it. So even if that one's fake, there's at least a photo out there showing that he did sign one of those at one point in time. And that's yeah, kind exactly. of the beauty of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's the actual magazine ad. And I've seen the ad without the signature on it. So somebody signed it. Oh, yeah. Somebody definitely did. But the fact that you're calling into question if the signature is real or not, I'm really offended. No, I wouldn't say I'm calling into question. I just took a quick look and I noticed. Yeah, it was a quick abnormalities. Look. Yeah, yeah, a quick look. So you better go back and look at that a little longer. So what you're saying is, if that were a ballot, it would be sent back to be recounted. It might be. Yeah, it might. Okay. I was going to bring this up later, but since we're already talking about the deodorant, I posted up on the social media pictures of your autograph deodorant ad on the social media should we uh check the social media fallout on this guys uh, is fallout the right word i mean i think from now on <laughs> the segment's going to be called social media fallout because that's what we're gunning for here is just we're trolling for likes we're trying to stir things up here with this podcast and <laughs> we want fallout all right so for anyone who listened to our 
holiday special, uh, we played Chuck Norris's commercial, his 1992 Right Guard deodorant TV commercial, uh, but I shared it on the Legend of Chuck Norris fan group and asked, did Chuck Norris convince any of you to switch to Right Guard in 1992? And uh, we had 219 likes on that, uh, which is insane for just reposting a deodorant commercial, and a few responses. Mark says... You need to keep up your left guard as well if you're going up against Chuck Norris. I think that's sound advice. Yeah. And I also posted this up on the namesake Walker Texas Ranger group. And we heard from a few people about whether they used it or not. Samuel says, I still use it, which leads me to believe that Chuck Norris changed him and he's been a life user of right guard. Um, same with Charles, uh, still use it today. Uh, and Jacob, who's been an active Walker Wright on this group here says, I love it. Didn't know he did that back then. So he was already using it. So I guess Chuck Norris really didn't do anything there. But we also heard from Carol. Right, Bob? We sure did. Carol said, I don't remember thinking of Right Guard ad, but my husband at the time did, I think, at menu probably did. What? I can't read that. It's too small. No, you you got it. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, did I think Al Menu probably did? Okay. It's autocorrect. One yeah. can only assume. Yeah, but so it sounds like her husband <laughs> used it at the time, and that's about three people that Chuck Norris convinced to use the deodorant. At least, yeah. Uh, well, one thing I pledged to do last year, which I actually accomplished, was sort every email in my inbox that I just I had never sorted before, and it took me all year. So periodically, I'd be emailing people, oh, look at this. I found this random thing. And I sent something to Evan. I haven't heard. You didn't even write back, Evan, you little butthead. (laughs) You sent this to me in 2007. You said, this is it. Don't get scared now. Walker stuff is the title of the email. And what you sent me is an Excel spreadsheet on how to rate Walker episodes in 2007. Speaking of thinking of it first... Just yeah, I, so this is your <laughs> fault then, Evan. I didn't There's intend for it to go this far, clear, clearly. <laughs> you planted the seed. <laughs> Bob, do you want to pick out some of the namesake stuff we got here? Yeah, all yeah, these different columns. we got season episode, episode name, uh, roundhouse kick, sleeper hold, creepy bad guy, explosion, car chase, old friends, <laughs> super shot. These are all very relevant. Um, <laughs> CD's bar. Walker acting as a parent. That's good. <laughs> Awkward um, romantic moment. Cheesy one-liners. Uh, back of truck. Easy way or hard way. Joke about women. Computers undercover. Freeze at end. Credits at halfway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these were, were charting, and we've experienced all these things so far. I guess, you know, Evan, I can't believe you one-upped us on this podcast, dude. Yeah, pretty much. You know, what I have to say to that is I sent that to you in 2007 and you you didn't respond back then. So why should I respond to your email? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. Speaking of the first being the best, I think we can probably safely say that's the case with the Walker shows. Yeah. um, There was another article in texas monthly uh by sean o'neill and if you'll remember this is the guy that i stumbled across his article um i think from last year that kind of announced that there was going to be a walker reboot and sean he 
described Walker, Texas Ranger so well. I've never heard anybody describe it as well. Uh, and he does it again in this column here. What's the headline here, Bob? The Walker, Texas Ranger reboot is ready to kick some ass, mourn some wives. <laughs> <laughs> And he goes on to say, as I noted when it was first announced, the CW's reboot of Walker, Texas Ranger, has some awfully big boots to fill. Before it uses those boots to stomp a little justice into someone's forehead, it's not just the absence of Chuck Norris as the two-fisted, mono-bearded Texas Ranger who dispatched drug cartels while dispensing searing social commentary with enough energy left over to wrestle a bear. Twice. From its very conception, this reimagining starring San Antonio native Jared Padalecki has lacked something even more essential, namely the understanding that Walker, Texas Ranger was always an extremely silly show, an absurdist proto-meme of a series that turned slow-motion ass-kicking into surrealistic art, and at one point had Norris fly around on a jetpack. I can't wait till we get to that episode. (laughs) Instead, this new Walker is a deathly serious bid for prestige drama, a story of a broken widower desperately trying to reconnect with his estranged family while being tormented by his wife's mysterious death. This Walker's jetpack is sorrow. (laughs) The only thing he wrestles are his emotions. Gross. Granted, there's probably still time to kick someone through a window, even when you're busy mourning the love of your life. That's probably somewhere between anger and bargaining on the Kubler-Ross model of grief. But you definitely won't see much of that in the first-look trailers that the network shared this week. Other than a scene where Padalecki, er, his stunt double, lassoes a criminal while on horseback, it's a surprisingly teary, dismayingly action-deprived affair that mostly finds everyone in Austin lining up to remind Walker, Texas Weeper, that his (laughs) wife is dead. Yes, sir, this ain't your daddy's Walker, Texas Ranger. Unless your dad is a profoundly sad man. Oh, I, I think it's interesting that he points out that it's an, an extremely silly show. A proto-meme. I like that. We need to get Sean O'Neill on the show, huh? That guy can probably talk poetry about Walker. Oh, my gosh. His other article went into depth about what Walker is, and he nailed it. But we'll share this article up on our site, and maybe we'll be able to talk to Sean down the line. That said, um, we're excited to give the uh, reboot a watch, and we'll definitely be covering the premiere. But our main focus here is OG, Walker, Texas Ranger, Chuck Norris style. That said, we've got a lot to cover this week, so let's dive into it. If you're watching along at home and don't want any spoilers, hit that pause button and watch Season 8, Episode 19, Soldiers of Hate, and come on back to us. Welcome back. Let's dig in, boys. This episode originally aired in the tender date of March 18th, 2000. In the year 2000! <laughs> And it opens with some kids in our favorite hospital. So, yeah, this is clearly a children's hospital because there are lots of um, sick, sad-looking children. And what cheers children up more than karate demonstrations? Yeah, I mean, what shows paralyzed children that other people can move more than karate demonstrations? I think very little. (laughs) But we don't see any karate demo yet. We just learn that it's going to happen. I mean, they're really building this up. And we get a hard 
jarring cut. So this is a zoom slash pan slash sound <laughs> effect swish to Boise, Idaho, because, you know, why not? And a judge is sentencing some white supremacist for a hate crime. May we say that the judge is African-American? Yes. Yep. I should say that almost goes without saying, because <laughs> um, right after sentencing, he is then walking to his car and abducted. This is after the guy he's going to rule sentence down upon, uh, the skinhead, spits on the ground in disapproval in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. Real disrespect. I'd hold him in contempt. But it's cool. We go back to the hospital. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. This is it's a lot of whiplash in this, in this first thing. Like, this is, it's like it's, mid-scene. They go back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> it might as well be mid-sentence. They're jumping yep. between yep. scenes. So, uh, Bob, who do we meet now? Oh, we meet uh, Darvin, a little kid who was, he was hurt in a drive-by, right? Yeah, he says, I quote, I was playing with some friends in the park when these guys pulled a drive-by, but the cast comes off tomorrow and the doctor says I'll be good as new. Well, may I say that I think Darvin is probably my favorite part of this episode. Yeah, he's pretty good. So he's in a wheelchair there when he's yep. delivering this line, and it came by so fast I had to rewind it and say, did this <laughs> poor kid get hurt in a drive-by? Because he said that line so fast. And then Gage, his reaction is actually almost what you would actually feel like, oh, I really stepped in that. That's awful. This poor kid got hurt in a drive-by shooting. How old is he? He turns out he's eight years old. Yeah, Gage's reaction was almost like um, he was hearing that line for the first time. <laughs> exactly. He's like, we're actually putting this on TV. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, so they're, they're tackling gang violence there. And uh, pew, whoosh, zoom back to some crazy encampment for a group called the Soldiers of the New Millennium. Now, we've seen many white supremacist groups on the show. And the one thing they're all very terrible at, making signs for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say coming up with names for themselves because <laughs> yeah. they're always pretty terrible. I'm sure the Soldiers of the New Millennium's website also totally blows. <laughs> it's also probably got the little dude digging a hole in the bottom it says under construction yeah <laughs> but yeah so they've got a sign up that's uh spray painted soldiers of the new millennium and we see the judge who is now tied to a tree with three guys with guns pointed at him and this hashtag creepy bad guy is uh espousing his uh white nationalist agenda at the judge who's just like tied to uh, a tree yeah Again, we're like, oh, we're going to witness a actual hate crime mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. judge that was going to sentence this guy. Yep. And he's tied to a tree. It's snowing. And the bad guy, he tells his firing squad to just take three assault rifles and start shooting the judge. Terrible. I'm surprised they attempted to show this. They actually did show it. And <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Well, they showed enough, him, but then of. he had no blood on him. And then later, though, the next scene, or like... Next cut. The next, the next clip cut, to yeah, him. Yeah, they, they, then he had some blood on him. But it was clear that they mowed this guy down. But, uh, you know, it's okay, because we're going to do a, a hard cut back to the hospital. <laughs> and, hey, you know, forget about that. It's a karate demo time. Right. And Darwin's there with his mom over him, and, and Gage, and Sydney and Alex, and... The mom's like, oh, uh, we better go get our seat. That looks like the uh, demo's about to start. And Darwin's like, oh, I've already got my seat. Because he's in a wheelchair. 
And everyone thinks that's quite clever. Everyone laughs and they're like, oh, look, he's even cracking jokes about him being shot in a drive-by. Oh, <laughs> God. And we see pretty sick karate demo. Can you uh, describe it, Bob? Oh, man. Okay, how about you describe yeah. the music? <laughs> the music was fantastic. <laughs> um, they had like a turntable, just keeping time almost. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then there was a guitar slide down the neck, like, yeah, yeah. and then it landed in, not in like a rap beat, but it landed, it sounded like the intro to Legends of the Hidden Temple for a few seconds. <laughs> and you're like, what is happening? And there's like a female voice that comes on. It's like, stand together, strong, forever, yeah. ever, ever. <laughs> and then it breaks into like some rap beat and Walker's students are doing like karate moves to this. Uh, how would you even describe the genre of this? It reminded me of the Happy Hands Club from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this reminded me of any of the songs from the movie Miami Connection that the band Dragon Sound uh, plays. <laughs> because all the whole band's made up of orphans that know karate that play rock music. And all their songs sound like this and have childish lyrics. I actually took the time to write the lyrics out for this one. I'm watching your back. Uh-huh. It's white or it's black. Uh-huh. You gotta hang tough. Uh-huh. Stop giving up. Oh, yeah. You better come strong. Uh-huh. The road is long. Yeah, yeah. So bring a game. Uh-huh. And know your own name. That was beautiful. Then it yeah. brings it to the chorus. And this is what we're all talking about here. That's just... That's just all pillow talk until you get to the chorus. Stand together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, about to fall apart. (laughs) I can't even do it. It's like stand together or we're bound to fall apart. Stand together and come straight from the heart. Look out for your brother. Brother, that's the place to start. Stand together or we're bound to fall apart. And then they end together. For listeners out there, we tried to find this song. It was written for the show itself, and I so badly wish we could add it to our Spotify playlist, but it was custom made for this episode, and it is chopped and reused like 80 times throughout this episode. Um, I would love to get a raw copy of this track if it's mm. out there. I would love to see it stay within this episode and not leave. <laughs> <laughs> all throughout this whole song, there are kids of all ages, races, and sizes kicking each other basically Mm -hmm. i'd say that i cringed when i first heard the song but it was a cringe that lasted the entire two minutes of this scene (laughs) yeah it was really long yeah it went on too long especially when we literally have scenes that zip back and forth in two seconds that you're like (laughs) that they take place within other scenes i will say when the karate group first comes out you hear like applause they pan around the room and nobody's clapping Oh, well, that just shows how good Chuck Norris is. And Darwin, this is why he's my favorite part of the show. It's because, like, initially when they when they start doing the karate, he's like, what is happening? Like, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> and then yeah, they sort of cut back to him during the stand together a few times, and he's slowly getting into it. And by the end, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do He's sold? Yeah, yeah, okay. So you're sure. saying he's the best actor of this episode is what you're saying? Hands down, yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, you know, there's a karate demo, and that's all great. It makes us feel great about things, and we almost forget that we just watched a hate crime. But uh, in case in our millennial ADD states we had forgotten, we are sent back to the Soldiers of the New Millennium encampment in Idaho, and uh, this guy brings in the sick, unmarked VHS tape, and he's like, this just in from our friends in North Texas. And they put it in their sick top-loading VCR. (laughs) And it's like this news thing about, oh, people in North Texas are so happy about uh, the way things have been going that they're going to be holding a racial unity festival in Dallas on Sunday. And the leader of the group is all like, looks like we've got ourselves a little date in Dallas on Sunday. Well, not a lot of heads up, right? Yeah. No, no. And maybe that was their downfall. We'll get into that. But uh, Not a lot of time for planning. Uh, we'll probably be bringing this up a good amount, but the climactic scene in Top Dog takes place at a racial unity rally of sorts. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of parallels between this episode of Walker, Texas Ranger and Top Dog, which, you know, it's not like Top Dog was uh, written and produced by Aaron Norris or anything. So... Right. No, no. Right, yeah. Oh, it was? Oh, oh, Yeah, okay. matter of fact, it was, yeah. So, after the theme song, we come back and uh, Gage and Sydney have actually been called into the local hospital. Because this is something that hospitals, they have the Texas Rangers on speed dial. So, if it's getting unruly in the hospital waiting room, uh, they call the Texas Rangers. So, they've been called in. Apparently, a gang member was shot in a drive-by. We learned that it was a member of the Clover Ave Raiders it sounds like a street hockey team. <laughs> it does. It doesn't sound like a street gang. Like flag football team. <laughs> yeah. That's like a merchandise item we need to get on as a jersey for that. This is a classic case of Texas Rangers being serendipitously in the right place at the right time. And uh, the people that they uh, help de-escalate are actually uh, the Clover F Raiders. And that includes uh, little Darwin's older brother, JJ, who's the leader which earlier in the, the exposition, they explained that J.J. was in the gang and that he wasn't there to look out for Darvin and to make sure he wasn't in the gang because he's in the gang and looks to be the leader of the gang. Yeah. So Gage is like, wait, you have a little brother named Darvin? And J.J.'s all like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk about coincidence. And right on cue. As is typical in all Dallas hospitals, a man with horrible bedside manner comes out and says, oh, you guys with the with the shooting victim? Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, he's <laughs> and then he leaves. It's <laughs> yeah. just like, well, okay. Yeah, I will say that's probably the most that Sydney does in this episode. She really got the short end of the stick on this episode. Yeah, she did. She didn't do any jumping. She didn't do any fighting. But she did go to the hospital. And everything she said was basically repeating something someone else said the whole episode, I think. Do we know that she didn't do the vocals in the song, though? We don't know that. It's possible she did. I'm just going to say that she did, yeah. For those who don't know, the actress who plays Sydney, uh, Nia Peoples, had a um, Paula Abdul spinoff career. So, cut to nondescript militarized vehicles entering some sort of other impoundment. And the gang leader, he steps out of the vehicle and uh, he meets some other pseudo-soldiers who are part of the Soldiers of the New Millennium North Texas Division, clearly. And he's like, you seem like good soldiers. And they do this sort of pseudo-militarized BS talk back and forth. 
And then he walks away, and the one guy's like, that's Travis Braxton. He's our leader. He's dreamy. I know. <laughs> he's so he's so dreamy. And for us watching, that's the first time we've learned who this person is. And immediately upon arriving, he tells people where it's at. He says, like, hey, I can trust you guys, but I can't trust this guy. This guy over here is an undercover agent sitting on the couch and just shoots the dude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for a second, I was wondering what had happened because it wasn't particularly convincing in, in any sense of anything. But, you know, they threw a blanket over the guy. and I was expecting a guy to sit down next to him. It was kind of like there was a guy standing there and I was like, oh, is he just going to cover him up and then chill yeah. out on the couch <laughs> next to him? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They're like, hey, man, I don't care if this guy shoots someone on my couch. I mean, he's Travis Braxton. He's that cool. But honestly, like this episode spends way too much time on other aspects. We fail to see, I mean, granted, when we see Travis Braxton, he's doing terrible things, but doesn't really build up any sort of conflict with him. Oh, are we giving our our rating of the episode right now? Or, or? I mean, I'd love to, so we don't have to talk <laughs> about the rest of it, but <laughs> sure. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> We go back to Ranger headquarters and they're like, oh, we found out who did the drive-by shooting, I guess. Uh, They think it's this guy and they do an internet search and we see some dude with hair. I'm going to gloss over this a lot because it's totally pointless and has no bearing on the episode whatsoever. But uh, Walker and Trevette go to pick him up. He runs out the back. Walker jump kicks him and uh, that's it. Trevette cuffs him. They get the gun and they go, nine millimeter, same one they use on the drive-by. Right. Definitely not the most common gun. (laughs) Probable cause right there. Nailed it. And Trevette's like, I'll send the bullet off to have it analyzed to see if it matches the shooting, which again, I don't think it matters for the rest of the episode. Right. And I think Walker picks the gun up, gets his fingerprints all over it, and then hands it to Trevette. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But hey, it's cool. It's cool. Okay, so that's great. Uh, And as they're booking the guy, Gage is like, oh, I'll I'll go tell Alex. I got to talk to her about something. So he tells her about how Walker and Trevette got the shooter and they think it's going to be a slam dunk. And she's like, anything else? He's like, actually. Yeah, he's in her office and you're waiting for him to be like, Alex, I've always had the hots for you. (laughs) Like you're waiting for something like big like that to drop. Just the two of them in her office. Permission to uh, address the witness as sexy. (laughs) (laughs) exactly that's what i was like waiting for i'm like what is happening right now it's like hey you know i thought that darvin was a really great kid and alex is like yep all the kids are great he's a great kid and gage is like if it's okay with you i don't want to be too forward but uh you know (laughs) i'd like to hang out with him sometime and alex you know for any da this should be like a red flag when an adult (laughs) comes to you and says i really like this child i want to hang out with him sometime is that okay as the DA, best move is to say, mm, with proper supervision, sure. Not, yeah, go for it. Which is what she says. Yeah, but I started watching this episode again while I was getting ready for the podcast. Even Gage is like, well, how come his older brother doesn't take care of him? And, oh, we've tried to get him to do it, but he's in a gang. Like, they do it multiple times saying that he doesn't have anybody there as, like, kind of a big brother. So, to his credit, he's like, maybe I can go in there and kind of be like a big brother program kind of thing still kind of weird the way you went about it but they did kind of try to pad that a little bit so yeah with alex's blessing he then goes and uh picks up darvin in a most awesome like car what car was that uh, he's got the chevy ss you know the sick muscle car 
it was pretty sick. Yeah, he pulls up to their house and that he picks up Darwin from his mom and he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to have him back by six. And she's like, just make sure you guys have a good time. As they're getting in the car, zoom over. And what we can only assume is the entirety of the Clover Avarators are crammed into a car. And they're bobbing their head to some hip hop beats. And they're like, whoa, what's that guy doing with your brother? Where are they going? And so like, I don't know, let's trail him. So they trail him all the way to the basketball stadium. Yeah, what happens at the basketball game is very weird. There's like stock footage of a basketball game. It's clearly an advertisement for the Dallas Mavericks all the way down to them meeting the then owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban. (laughs) Still owner. Yeah, who of course is great friends with Gage and uh, gets them some sick courtside seats. Yeah. And uh, sits with them. He sits with them the entire game. And even arranges for Darwin to be the ball boy. He's uh, he's the ball boy, and we see... And initially, I thought it was Detlef Schrempf. <laughs> right. Like a really skinny, <laughs> tall European dude. But it's actually uh, Sean Bradley, who's another German basketball player. So Gage has kind of pulled some strings with his best buddy, Mark Cuban, uh, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, to get VIP treatment at the game for Darwin. It's just a really weird scene because it feels like it's a non-NBA sanctioned advertisement for the Dallas Mavericks because it's just weird grainy game footage that could be from anything. And then they keep showing like people in Dallas Mavericks uniforms, but the visiting team didn't have any sort of visible uniforms. And on the scoreboard, it said visitor. So there wasn't like another NBA (laughs) team there. Were there logos? No. Okay. So they didn't even mention the Mavericks. Yeah, and and actually the hat that Darwin's wearing, all it says is Dallas Mavs on it in like Ariel. <laughs> okay, so you're say, you're saying this is a backdoor Mavericks advertisement? Definitely. No wonder Mark Cuban is such a great businessman. He's got his own TV show, so he's got to be good. <laughs> he's on the Shark Tank, right? Yeah, he's in the yeah. Shark Tank. Uh, but you know, if he is able to finagle this backdoor advertisement for his basketball team under Chuck Norris's nose, I mean. He's a great businessman. Yeah, they even put a line in that says, "Boy, that Mark Cuban's a really nice guy." I believe that's the that's the exact line. <laughs> that's what Cage says. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, Mark Cuban's like, "Anytime you want to come back, Cage, just let me know." I wonder if he took him up on that. And next week they're playing the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Darwin had a great time with Gage because he got VIP treatment at the basketball game. I mean, what's not to like? And Gage's arms were filled up with, like, popcorn, enough popcorn for, like, eight people. So they were definitely well taken care of. Yeah, and he's like, boy, I'd love to play basketball. And Gage is like, hey, you can do anything you want if you work hard and set your mind to it. And he's like, but I might never be seven feet tall. And Gage then lists off some NBA players, including Muggsy Bogues. who oh, yeah. Spud Webb. Right, right. But like Muggsy Bogues was not playing in the year 2000. There's no way he was still playing, right? He might have been around. But that kid know who Muggsy Bogues is? I'm looking this up now. Yeah. (laughs) Was Muggsy Bogues in uh, NBA Jam? He definitely was. He was like early 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he might have still been kicking around the league. At least he might have still been relevant because he was actually pretty good. Uh, He played until 2001. Okay. I stand corrected. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's the, that's the take home here is you can do anything if you set your mind to it. And he promptly drops Darwin back home on time before curfew. And, um, they actually gave him the game ball. So 
he's playing with the ball with his mom and uh, she's kind of trying to steal the ball from him. They're doing some horseplay there. And Gage gets back into his crotch rocket of a car, starts down the street uh, and gets about a block and someone's waiting for him. Who's waiting for him, Bob? Uh, that would be the local flag football team. The Clover Ave Raiders? Yeah, yeah, the Clover Ave Raiders. JJ and his boys, they block the road. Not to be confused with the Clover Boulevard Raiders, another team. So Right. Mm. Yeah, they try to turn the tables. Normally there's a shakedown in a Walker episode um, where the Rangers are shaking someone down for info. And uh, honestly, usually the shakedown fails. And in this case, JJ's shakedown fails. Yeah, he's and, shaking uh, down Gage. Yeah, they try to put the hurt on Gage. They're like, oh, I don't want to see you with my brother or else. And Gage is like, that sounds a lot like a threat. <laughs> and so uh, things escalate and uh, turns into a pretty legit fight. Roundhouse kicks are thrown. It culminates in Gage getting JJ in a headlock. And while in mid-headlock, he starts lecturing him mm. on being a good brother. A positive role model. <laughs> And I will say, his this fight was amazing, was it not? It was pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. good. It might have been the best fight in the episode. I mean, it's a pretty low bar, but yeah. Gage just wrecks house on the Clover Avenue Raiders, leaves him <laughs> panting on the ground, coolly walks back to his car and says, okay, you can move your car, please. <laughs> that was pretty baller. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. It was definitely a high moment for him as, as a character, honestly. But... At the same time, they had kind of some self-awareness, too. They had um, J.J. say, well, what do you know? The Great White Hope. Oh, oh, or should I say the Great White Dope? Ooh. Both of those terms could be applied to the show Walker, Texas Ranger. (laughs) (laughs) A little self-awareness there. So cut to uh, some uh, town employees putting up some... uh, Unity Festival posters, and uh, while they're watching in uh, classic action movie tropeness, Travis Braxton and his right hand guy, who is always wearing a black baseball cap, so I'm going to call him Black Hat. They are watching the poster go up in foreboding fashion, uh, and they're like, "Yes, this is going to be the best reckoning." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think they say something like uh, Braxton says something like, "Oh, on Sunday, the whole world will see." The soldiers of the new millennium. Yeah, so that's very exciting. Uh, <laughs> building a lot of tension. To add to the action movie tropes, back at Ranger headquarters, an FBI agent, or we assume an FBI agent. Yeah, he looks like a, uh, a mutant J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> Complete with the suit. And uh, he gives them the rundown uh, on the soldiers of the new millennium, which is a pretty sick slide deck, which is basically six slides... Three of the slides are scenes of hate crimes, and the other three slides are the same picture of, <laughs> uh, like, real cl- an awkward close-up of Braxton's face. <laughs> so they're like, this is the crime. This is the guy who did it. This is another awful crime. Here's the same picture of the guy who did it. <laughs> Just so you didn't forget the picture of him before. Here's another yeah. terrible, even more awful hate crime picture of that. Oh, yeah. You, did you forget the picture from before? This is his face again. This is him. And this is, you know, this is before PowerPoint. So he had to make that slide deck. And he's like, okay, this one's going to go first. Okay, then I got to put a picture of Braxton in. And can then we get, this can goes, we get three, three slides get of the Braxton. same picture, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're going to have to do another batch. Well, two more batches, but please. But we did have um, Walker looking at that photo 
and close-ups of Walker and then back to the photo. <laughs> and this is another yeah, scene in this yeah. episode where it's just like this went on for what felt like 10 minutes. <laughs> they even passed out like really crappy printouts of like something. It said arm all the people on it and had like a quasi swastika that wasn't like a swastika on it. Everyone got one at the table. But I noticed that Walker was the last one to be handed one. Kind of disrespect there. He doesn't really need the info. He just needs the picture. (laughs) He's like a bloodhound, but instead of by smell, it's sight. And we'll get into this later. But he's he's got the eyes of a golden eagle. Yeah. He's like, he doesn't need facts. He just needs a visual. For sure. It can even be through the eyes of an eagle. It doesn't need to be his own eyes. Occasionally, he will channel his eyes through animals. Not in this episode, though. Okay, so let's no. get back to that. Let's. I, I know. I don't know why we keep straying from this. <laughs> it's because the episode blows. So. <laughs> All right. So cut back to right after this. Uh, right after this debrief by the FBI, we then cut to the encampment, the North Texas encampment of the soldiers of the New Millennium, mm. and we see uh, Travis Braxton give his emotional. Uh, white supremacist speech. If you can't watch this episode, just watch Top Dog. It's the same thing. <laughs> At this point, this is like the fourth white supremacist speech we've uh, we've heard, and I just kind of block them out. At this point, they're all the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this, this guy's bad, and he hates anybody who's not white. So pretty much that's what he does. Yeah, they call uh, people who aren't white inferiors. I will say that um, I did appreciate with this episode that they did not show scenes of uh, holocaust like they did in what was it soul of winter soul of winter that was incredibly jarring and disturbing so props to them for not doing that this episode uh anywho back to the headquarters and walker is just sort of standing there thinking pensively people are saying things to him about what's about to go down and walker just keeps saying yeah you're right yeah and so (laughs) one of the things is boy they must be planning something around the unity concert yeah you're probably right Boy, they must be playing something big. Yeah, you're probably right. So, you know, classic leadership. So he's had Good. a lot to do. Like, pretty much he's he's done nothing this whole episode. Even in the karate class, he wasn't teaching it. He was standing next to a guy who was teaching it. Right. Well, you know what, though? He was uh, part of taking down another group of white supremacists in The Patriot. And he remembered that case. Because he told Gage and Sydney, hey, check to see if any explosives have been stolen, particularly at military bases. <laughs> oh, so I'm, he like, does. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened in the Patriots. So good on him for remembering that. I don't know if that was intentional, though. <laughs> oh, certainly not. But, uh, for, <laughs> but for the person watching Walker, I mean, that's the mythos right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the episode of the Patriot where... They stole that all, all those uh, the C four from the military base. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Meanwhile, a CD van is cruising around the uh, the streets of um, the Greater Dallas Metro area, and uh, it's a couple soldiers of the New Millennium who are just looking for uh, to blow people. their cover before the big heist. I don't know why yeah, they would even pe- do this. Yeah. Yeah. People to terrorize. You know, they're just getting bored. And uh, one guy's like, what are we looking for exactly? And the other guy's like, I'll know it when I see it. And uh, he sees uh, some teenagers walking down the street. And it's a uh, white girl with um, two, I guess, non-white youngsters. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the targets. They uh, zone on in. They pull up right next to the three of them, jump out of their van and uh, attack them with knives, 
uh, after calling them inferiors. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it turns out these kids are, unfortunately for these white supremacists, members of Kick Drugs Out of America All-Star Unity Team. Which actually makes them superiors. <laughs> right. <laughs> Both the white supremacists draw like the f- switchblade knives, which is a classic Walker hallmark, and both move in on these kids. And and the kids, they don't get stabbed. They proceed to kick the crap out of them with pure karate mayhem. And you can tell they ascribe to the uh, kick drugs out of America school of karate because they finish off the bad guys each with a roundhouse kick. Yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good, pretty good kicks. Yeah. yeah. This was an awesome fight, too. Just one element missing. Was that Walker? Yeah, Walker. Walker wasn't involved in this one either. (laughs) To rub salt in our wounds, Walker shows up later to get the information from them, say, oh, you guys all right? He's like, let me know what happened. And uh, they all start talking at once. And just for literally two seconds, they make the music comical, like as if "Uh they can't get a word in because they're kids and they're talking over each other. And they go to the next scene. And that's why Walker's like, oh, okay. His only word was like, what happened? It's a little bit of levity. You know, you got to have that. Especially in an episode like this, that was really a welcome um, half laugh. Yeah. Cut to an interrogation of these two creeps, and they're trying to play coy like they don't know who the soldiers of a new millennium are. They've probably been instructed by their leader not to mention the group. Standard mm -hmm. operating procedure. And Walker and Trevette, they're in their interrogation room. It's like the worst interrogation ever, and it still worked. (laughs) And the kids just fell for it. Walker's like... What do you know about these inferiors? Huh? Like, <laughs> yeah. just like that? Yeah. And the guy cracks. He can't He can't take the pressure. He says Braxton's name. And so instantly Walker's like, Braxton, huh? Interesting. And so they leave and they're like, oh, well, we tied these guys to Braxton's gang. We might have something from this. And the one who didn't say Braxton's name was like, oh, I can't believe he said Braxton's name. We're in trouble now. This next scene is... My favorite scene of the episode. It's unbelievable. Um, and I actually marked the time down. And it's funny you mentioned this earlier about how the scenes are literally so short that they're in other scenes. This scene takes 27 seconds to happen. The two guys, they're being put in prison after Walker's tied them to Braxton. And Braxton is pretty much called a hit order out on these guys because he doesn't want any loose ends. So they show them being entered into the prison population. And these two soldiers of the new millennium are sitting in their orange jumpers on a bench. And they're talking to each other and they go, he's like, do you think they're going to be mad at us? <laughs> oh, oh no. Braxton knows we would never squeal. Yeah. It's cool. And then right after he says that, the doors open and the most brutal looking prisoners in the world walk through the door, skinheads of all types. And the same guy who had the positive outlook about, oh, no, Braxton's not going to be a problem at all. He kind of looks at the goons coming at him and goes, oh, guys, what's up? <laughs> like as if they're going to be pals. And then he goes over to shake one of the guy's hands. And as he goes in for the shake, he's instantly shanked. And then they show, they leave him sitting on the ground and show you brutally the guy's stomach with blood and a shank sticking out for a few (laughs) seconds and let that sit. And then they pan up to the bench and both of them are shanked lying on the bench dead with knives sticking out. And they just linger on that for a while. And it happens so fast that you're just like, what did I just see? It's like in uh, Arrested Development when they got White Power Bill. Yeah. (laughs) 
guys got taken out by white power bill. <laughs> they totally did. And it was so unexpected and shocking and and it happened so fast that I was just like, oh my gosh, what? My jaw was on the floor. It didn't really work out well for him. <laughs> no. What I liked about it most was the guy's positivity. <laughs> and then he was greeted with the shanking instantaneously. So, uh, lo and behold, back at uh, Ranger headquarters, Gage and Sydney come back and they're like, Walker, you were absolutely right. A military base nearby just reported six pounds of stolen C4. It's missing. C4 is the bad guy currency of Walker, Texas Ranger. A whole six pounds. I mean, he must be planning something big with it. They're all like, well, I guess we better postpone this festival until we figure out what's going on and get to the bottom of it. And uh, Alex tells him, Governor's not postponing anything. And he has complete and total faith that the Texas Rangers will uncover anything. So, you know, they're like, boy, they must be planning something big. We've got to find out where they're putting it. We then cut to the dress rehearsal for the uh, Karate All-Stars. And uh, uh, Excuse me, Evan. The Karate uh, All-Star Unity Team. My bad. <laughs> Who's in the tech group behind helping set up a black hat wearing his black hat you know for a white supremacist lots of white supremacists in the show wear black hats i'm just saying it's how they throw people off i maybe (laughs) (laughs) but all i have to say is if you see anyone wearing a baseball cap that's that's black and has no logos on it look them over once or twice to see if they're doing something suspicious because i've never seen a black baseball cap with no logos on it for sale and if you've got one of those you're probably doing something nefarious i don't know just saying Anywho, Black Hat is, uh, you know, he's definitely up to no good. And he is uh, blatantly out in the open, slipping some C4 into an extremely thick flagpole. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. yeah. And you know it's C4 because it's shaped like a stick of dynamite and has a flashing red light. You know it's bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's okay because he leaves and uh, goes back to the base. And as he's leaving, bomb-sniffing dogs and walker and crew they all show up and make quick work of the place and they find three pounds of c4 in mm-hmm. different places yeah but and, the dogs. and walker gingerly unscrews the flagpole and takes <laughs> out the c4 <laughs> he takes the c4 out of this thing and then he hands it to some other guy and he's like defuse that <laughs> <laughs> but like he, no one's like hey i'm holding a bomb Get the kids out of this building. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they know karate, so. Yeah. And so they find three explosives, and they're like, well, each one's about a pound of C4. That leaves three pounds unaccounted for, because God knows that they couldn't possibly have stolen or come up with C4 anywhere else. It all has to be this one instance of six pounds of missing C4. And I guess what we were getting at earlier is that they just didn't have time to steal C4 from two different sources. So they had to be thrifty. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they just had heads up, oh, this weekend this is going down. And they were like, okay, well, let's buy a compound in, in Texas, okay? <laughs> no, no, they're, they're crashing. They're airbnb down there. <laughs> oh, man. There's like a dark web Airbnb. Yeah. The Airbnb. So uh, they're like, well, it leaves three pounds unaccounted for. Where is it going to be? And anyone who watched the episode would say they're having this festival at two different locations, but... In case you've forgotten Alex saying it, we have a flashback of Alex saying, oh, it's going to be at the Children's Hospital and somewhere else. And Walker's like, the Children's Hospital. So they cruise (laughs) over to the Children's Hospital 
Uh, just as we're seeing a sick uh, flower delivery, the company name on the flower delivery seemed pretty appropriate. It's called Glory Days. And I believe it's Black Hat and Travis Braxton who are the delivery men, right? Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. Black Hat kind of threw me off because the flower delivery guys, they're wearing yellow and green hats. Master of disguise. Yeah, not as suspicious. <laughs> and so they they carry these huge pots. Like they're like, oh, we're delivering flowers, but it's this huge pot with flowers coming out of it that you're like, guess that's where they put the rest of the C4 and two potted plants. And they just deposit them on tables of African American people eating hot dogs. The uh, Unity Festival seems like a pretty good time. I mean, there's lots of cotton candy, lots of um, people having a good time, kids in wheelchairs. Uh, the clowns there. They're pretty scary looking. <laughs> like the creepy yeah. female clown. <laughs> yeah, and they showed that same clip of her like two or three times. And the first time it freaked me out. I could I didn't want to see it more than once. But I did. And I can't unsee it. But they they successfully deliver the bombs and you're like, oh, they're gonna get out of there before Walker and company get there. What's gonna happen? So, you know, like any good terrorist. They deposit the bombs, leave their delivery vehicle right there, parked next to the festival. They walk across the street to the park and just sit on a bench. And, you know, they're watching from a distance, and they just want to detonate the bombs. Uh, Black Hat really wants to detonate them, but um, Braxton's all like, no, we have to wait till 2 because that's when the other one's going off. We want them to happen at the same time. You know, if they really wanted their uh, mission to succeed, they probably should have detonated them first because Walker and Trivette ended up on the scene immediately. But uh, they didn't find the flowers, but uh, Walker did use his excellent eyesight and the fantastic intel from his FBI slideshow to recognize that Braxton was sitting on a bench across the street. Yeah, so if he didn't see that image three times, he probably might not have been able to identify him later. That's true. And so... Can we talk about Walker's entrance into the next scene? How do you how do you want to talk about this? So yeah, uh, you know Braxton is saying you know we can't quite detonate the bombs yet to Black Hat, and then you hear dogs barking, and of course their eyes aren't quite as good. So Black Hat needs binoculars to see what's going on across the street, <laughs> and so he pulls out his tiny Where's little pair of binoculars. Walker's eyes are binoculars. Absolutely. Yeah, he's got at least like eight times magnification when he wants. He can turn it on. Um, But the Black Hat's like, oh, no, they found the bombs. Braxton's all like, get the bag. They pull out this uh, classic detonator. You know, it's got the antenna. It's got a red button and a green button. Um, And Braxton is about to fire up the detonator and push the button when... A black blur flips him <laughs> over the bench. It comes from behind, and you're like, is that the devil coming for him? Or what is that? Oh, no. Chuck Norris did like a somersault ripping him off the from behind on the... I, how do you even describe this? I'm watching it right now. <laughs> All right, here he goes. He's pulling the detonator out. Oh, there he is. He's got oh, antenna out. The guy's looking through binoculars, looking at a German Shepherd. He's turning a dial, trying to figure it out, what button to push. About to push it. Black Blur pulls him forward. It's like a surprise attack. Black Hat gets taken out by Trevette as well. Pretty good. Yeah, so they basically dispatch these two guys uh, in pretty rapid fashion. And those guys are booked and everything. I guess they take Walker and Trevette's statements and everything in like two minutes because then they're back at the festival for the karate demo. 
And that's when we get the reprise <laughs> of uh, Stand Together, our favorite track from this episode. Stand Together. I think this one went even longer than the first time. <laughs> yeah. I will say, like, the episodes are typically so formulaic that you can be like, okay, well, there's like five minutes left. So there would be like a major conflict or a fight at the end or something like that. No, there were five minutes left and all the action was gone. What is about to happen right now? And then the karate demo started and I realized that the last four and a half minutes of the episode were a karate demo. Almost the same exact karate demo that they did before. Better lighting this time, though. <laughs> it was I don't like know. A there's, there's a guy, he like punches through like four boards in succession. That was pretty sick. Right. They tacked on a few cool things, but a lot of it was like the same routine from earlier because that was like kind of a rehearsal. Then we get like one feel-good moment at the end, right? Darwin's there with his brother JJ in like a button-up shirt, and you're like, oh... It looks like because he got his ass whooped by Gage, he may want to learn karate now. Yeah, he's reformed his ways. He's hung up his Clover Ave Raiders letter jacket. <laughs> as heavy-handed as Walker tends to be, they couldn't just leave it at the fact that J.J. and Darwin were there and showed up on their own volition and, like, that's a good little side story. No, they're like, oh, you should go talk to J.J. and Darwin, Gage, and uh, say hi to him and... But, uh, you know, this show is completely numb to that. So <laughs> they just go for it. And uh, Gage is like, karate, huh? And Darwin's all like, yeah, JJ and I have started. And uh, Gage is all like, that's pretty good. And JJ's all like, well, you know, he needed a positive role model, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> he learned it's his like, lesson. It's like, what? And then the, I think they like fist bump or shake hands like in a bro way. Yeah, they do a little bro hug. But they also uh, do that, like, the kid's like, oh, I'll never be as good as these kids. And then Walker tells the kid the same thing that Gage told him earlier. You can do anything if you try. As long as you stand together. Oof. Yeah. And Trevette ends the episode about as awkwardly as it deserves. He's just like, so, is anybody as hungry as I am? Which actually may have been unscripted. It might have been Clarence Gilliard just saying that. <laughs> And uh, everyone behind him, including all the kids, are like, yeah. And then he gives this face like, that was weird. And then that's the end of the episode. <laughs> and that about sums it up. <laughs> We'd love to give a shout out to our friend and collaborator, Adam Lauritsen, who's been drawing the amazing Walkerstrations, including this week's, that we feature on our social media. Uh, be sure to check out his other art on Instagram at adimaginationrunamuck. When we come back, it'll be time for us to each rate Soldiers of Hate on a scale of 0 to 10 boots to the face, resulting in our patented Roundhouse Roulette episode ranking, the complete results of which are available on our website, roundhouseroulette.com. Don't you dare go away. Well, welcome back. I will gladly dive headfirst into this one right here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm giving this one a 1. Like, I just can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. Okay. Yeah, it has it has virtually zero Walker action, including like a scene where they like go to bust a perp and there's like no fight whatsoever. They just like Walker just like kicks a fat guy to the ground. Jump kicks him in the back. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Reason. Yeah, he ambushes the guy. Like, come on now. Yeah, it's just uh, one more sort of uh, white savior complex episode than I can bear. And I know it's not going to be the last one, but... <laughs> it's already it, the third one. <laughs> right, right. 
But like, come on now. When a kid's older brother won't leave a gang because his eight-year-old brother was shot in the leg by a drive-by shooting that he brought on and instead is inspired to leave a gang because he was put in a headlock by a white Texas Ranger and was told that he needs to be a better positive role model. That's what scared him straight? That is so awful. (laughs) (laughs) Offensive. Didn't think of it that way. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I don't think that was the wake-up call, guys. Come on now. Uh, And, uh, yeah, there were about nine too many minutes of uh, karate demonstrations to really, really terrible 90s stock music. It was like, that music, I mean, you guys made it sound good. It's atrocious. It is really bad. (laughs) And there was more action in the karate demonstration done by, like, teenage kids than the entire episode. So, yeah, I stand by giving this one a one. No car chases, no explosions, one roundhouse kick. Come on now. Hmm. Wow, wow. You're kind of shocking my system here, Evan, because I was not thinking (laughs) of this episode as harshly because um, last Christmas I was home and, Evan, you were out of state with uh, Marie and her family in California, right? Because you didn't really care about seeing your brother that one time a year that I come home, right? Yeah, well, I didn't have a Texas Ranger put me in a headlock and say I need to spend more time with you, so. Well, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Well, you weren't there, but I did have a great time hanging out with my cousin Yoshi, and we watched this episode together, and we were shocked that it opened with a racial hate crime, and that shanking scene was (laughs) jaw-dropping. It was like, what? And so maybe it was just the shock factor. I was like, this episode is actually pretty good, but it's just kind of vile. It's not done in the right way, and especially the way they try to treat a poor eight-year-old getting shot in a drive-by shooting. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Probably shouldn't have been treated in this fashion. That said... It didn't drag as much as a lot of other Walker Texas Ranger stuff. And even the stuff we're complaining about was entertaining. Okay. So when you watched this a second time, did you sit through the last five minutes of the karate demonstration? <laughs> I w- yeah, I laughed at how long it kept going on. It meant we got alternate verses to stand together. And then we had alternate raps every time. They kept it fresh. I was going to go six on this one. But I feel bad about it now that you guys said all that stuff. But that's where I was. No, wait till you hear what I'm going to give it. All right. I'm going to give it a two. I almost oh. went down to one. Oh. I almost went to one. But you know what did save it for me? Was the music. Yeah, the music. It's so, so stupid and so bad that it's good. And the shanking was so good. The shanking was okay. I feel like the, the jumping around in the scenes and the whole, like, there's like three different backstories that just don't need to exist. And if you cut those out and you trim down the, like, the karate demos and the music and all this stuff, you'd have, like, half the episode to just have fights. Yeah, but then... And explosions or other things. The scenes wouldn't have stood together and then it would just, just all fall I'm apart. talking, like, cut those entire plot lines out of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, the kid and his brother gone um the the guys go i mean i I guess the guys going to jail was cool for the shanking but like mark cuban he can stay yeah mark cuban (laughs) gone yeah i think i think it should lose a point just off the bat for having mark cuban in it what the hell was that that was so so, i forgot to mention that that is that's so dumb what what was that 
You know, he's a staple in the Dallas area. He's just a great guy. That Mark Cuban is such a nice guy. Yeah, they literally he really say is. That. They literally say that. They literally say that, yes. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I got to start being a little more discerning in my, my rating, I think. But, I yeah, I'm going to stick with what I did. All right, well, that still gives this episode a roundhouse rating of three boots to the face. And it sounds like we may have a little bit of a differing opinion on uh, whether or not late 90s stock music adds or detracts from a show's appeal. But uh, do let us know what you think on social media or by emailing us at roundhouseroulette at gmail.com. When we come back, we'll spin the Roundhouse Roulette wheel and select next week's episode. And we're back. You ready to spin that wheel again, Bob? I'd love to. I'd love for us to get out of season eight. Season eight has been very hit or miss, but... uh, Yeah, more miss as of late. All right, here we go. Oh, this... uh... This is, is this one about firefighters? I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> Flashpoint. Walker attempts to prevent the assassination of a visiting dignitary by a group of IRA terrorists. Oh, Ooh. sweet. We get to see their take on the on the Irish. Amazing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is going to be uh, one for the archives. All right, well, we hope you'll join us next week when we share our reactions to Season 4, Episode 13, Flashpoint. And in the meantime, share your opinions with us on Facebook and on Instagram at at roundhouseroulette and on Twitter at at roundhousepod. And rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and until next week, may the eyes of the ranger ranger be upon upon you. When you're in Texas, look behind you. Where the ranger's gonna be